0: LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast, where we take a behind-the-scenes, intimate look at surgery from leaders in the field.
2: Welcome back to Behind the Knife. This is Patrick Georgeoff. Here at Behind the Knife, we've got lots of love for our medical student listeners. So for this episode, we want to do something special for y'all, let you know a few secrets and spell out how you can absolutely dominate your surgery clerkship. Multiple listeners have requested this episode, so we're particularly excited to pull back the curtain and demystify the surgery clerkship. Today, I'm joined by my partner and friend, Dr. Amir Metamani, an acute care surgeon at Wake Med Hospital in Raleigh, North Carolina, and a de facto medical student whisperer. <laughs> uh, hey Patrick, uh,
3: thank you for having me on the podcast. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Um, we, we have a lot to cover.
2: Um, yeah, you know- this is going to be great. I Amir, mean, let's map this one out. This episode is packed with goodness. First, we introduce behind the nice five principles to clerkship domination. Second, we hear from clerkship directors at top-notch surgery programs from around the country. And finally, we review the primary learning environments in surgery, the OR, clinic, and rounds. And we go into detail about how you can excel in each of these environments.
3: Very good. So let's start with Behind the Knives' five principles of surgery clerkship success. As it goes with anything, anything else in life, be prepared. Prepare for your cases, prepare
2: for clinic, prepare for rounds, prepare, prepare, prepare. 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 Right. Now, more details on exactly how to prepare later. But one good tip is to get the inside scoop from colleagues who are on rotation before you. So that's preparing before you've even started the clerkship. Agree. Preparation starts
3: before the rotation starts. Uh, Number two, take a proactive role in your education. You are Your own best advocate. Identify ways
2: you can get involved. Be helpful and learn. Right. So taking a proactive role in your education means showing initiative. Can you offer to see that consult that just came up? Is there an open case you might be able to scrub in on? Surgery services are typically very, very busy. And all too often, students get forgotten in the mix. So don't let this happen to you. Look for ways you can get involved. Don't wait for someone to tell you what you should be doing.
3: Agree. And honestly, taking a proactive role in your education starts with your mindset. Know that you are part of the team. Don't look at yourself as an extra. Don't look at yourself as a burden on the team. What you do can help improve patient care. The moment you develop that mentality that you are one of us when you're on service with us, is the moment that you will take a more proactive role in your own education, you will read more, and you will do better.
2: Right. And I always tell my students, you know, before they start that next case, before they go see a consult, pretend the, everything in the hospital shut down. And it's just you. You're there alone. Okay. You have to see that patient. You need to get all the details right. You need to make a decision. Should we take them to the operating room or not? You need to write that order for Zosin. You need to know the dose of that order. And when you get into that right mindset that you're not just a, you know, quote, unquote, just a medical student, you're something more than that. You push yourself. Students with that mindset simply excel. Number three, show enthusiasm
3: and be engaged, even if you have no plans into going into surgery.
2: Yeah, we get it right. Not everyone wants to be a surgeon. In fact, most students don't want to be a surgeon. Just go by the numbers. But I've got to tell you, there are few things more disheartening for Amir and I than a disengaged or, or at least a seemingly disengaged student. One of the very best things to ensure a good experience on your surgery clerkship is to show enthusiasm. Residents, fellows, and attendings feed off of that enthusiasm. It's infectious, and we love it. We love teaching enthusiastic students. The more you give, the more we give.
3: Yep. And I tell you what, folks, it doesn't matter what specialty you go into, mark my words, you're going to face surgical patients with surgical problems. Um, so, so what you learn during this rotation might come in handy years down the line and even save someone's life. Number
2: four, give quality presentations with thoughtful assessments and plans. All right. This sounds a little strange, right? Cause it's so highly specific, but think about it. When you are presenting a patient, whether it's in clinic on rounds or as a consult, this is one of the only times that you hopefully have the undivided attention of someone who's evaluating you. Most students can recite an HPI. They can tell me about the vitals and the physical exam findings, but not all of them can come up with a just amazing assessment and plan. And that's why we're going to focus more on that later. And, And in fact, in a lot of detail to hammer that point home,
3: your quality presentations and thoughtful assessment and plans are your moment to shine. This shows us how much knowledge you have, how prepared you are and Perhaps most importantly, how you can bring this all together as a third-year medical student. And finally, number five, seek out feedback
2: and incorporate it into what you do. Right. This is good life advice in general. Incorporate that feedback. Embrace it and seek it out. Now, one thing that, that I've learned over time is that giving quality feedback is really, really hard. Okay. And that's really one of the main reasons why students and residents alike get less of it than they want. So that's why it's incumbent upon you that after a case or working with someone in clinic, you should ask them, would you be able to provide me with some quick feedback? That's the best way to get it is to ask for it.
3: And feedback can be positive and feedback can be negative. What's important is that it's feedback and you should take it as data, data that can help you improve. Data that can make you better. So don't take it to heart. Listen to the feedback, act on it and get better. You can become a better physician because of that. There you have it. Behind a knife's five principles of surgery clerkship success. One, be prepared. Two, take a proactive role in your education. Three, show enthusiasm and be engaged. Four, give quality presentations with thoughtful assessments and plans.
2: And five, seek out feedback and incorporate it into what you do. Right. But let's not just take our word for it. Let's hear from clerkship directors at talk programs from around the country.
0: Hello, everyone. I'm Elodia Geber-Keaton, and I'm the clerkship director at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. And here is how you can dominate your surgery clerkship. I always tell our students that there are things you can control and things you can't control. You can't control what questions about anatomic minutia you might be asked in any given case, but you can control how you show up each day. Be curious, be enthusiastic, and most importantly, be prepared. Specifically, you should know the who, what, and why of each case you scrub into. Who is this patient? What are we doing today? And why are we doing it? Remember, Patients are giving you a great gift by allowing you to learn from them. So be prepared for those learning opportunities and you will dominate your clerkship. Hi, I'm Gifty Kwachik, Clerkship Director at University of Michigan. And this is how you can dominate your surgery clerkship. If possible, a few days before you start your rotation, reach out to the student on the service to get the inside tips and tricks. Then show update one and try to be truly present. Seize any opportunity to learn and try your hands at something, even if surgery ain't your cup of tea. The skills you learn on surgery are relevant regardless of what specialty you end up going into. And importantly, take care of yourself and your team. Find those times to hydrate, to use the restroom, because those are all important things to do. And just enjoy yourself. Remember, you got this.
1: Hello, my name is Mackenzie Cook, and I'm the clerkship director at Oregon Health Sciences University in Portland, Oregon, and this is how you can dominate your surgery clerkship. The most important thing, in my opinion, is to make your surgery clerkship active. Yeah, they're going to teach you about anatomy, physiology, operative decision-making. However, for a large fraction of students, you're not going to go into surgery as your primary career. This is your opportunity to learn about it. This is your opportunity to set individual educational goals, not only for the clerkship, but for the week, for the day, for each case. Go into each case knowing exactly what you want to learn. Know how it's going to make you a better doctor. Know how it's going to make you more capable in your chosen career. The more active you are in your learning, the better doctor you're going to be, and the more you will dominate your surgery clerkship.
2: Hi, I'm Luigi Pascarella, Director of the Surgery Clerkship at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. This is how you can dominate your surgery clerkship. The only way to swim is to get into the water. Tips for success are
0: engage, immerse yourself, read, know your patients, be a team player, attend conferences, lectures and simulations, ask for feedback, have an open mind,
3: take care of yourself, This means bathroom number one and number two, snacks, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. But mostly, do not take it personally if sometimes things do not go as you expect.
2: All right, that was some amazingly strong points. It's awesome to hear some other voices and to see some consistent messaging uh, as well.
3: All right, Patrick, we've covered some big ideas, some main foundation points, but let's get to the nitty-gritty. Let's talk about the specifics And discuss the primary learning environments in surgery, the OR, clinic, rounds, consults, and review in detail how you can excel
2: in each of these environments. Right. Now, before we dive in, I want to recommend that you do your best to understand what is expected of you in each of these learning environments and how you will be assessed. This can be different on every rotation and different within uh, institutions. So if it's not clear to you, ask This is absolutely information that you need to know.
3: First up, let's talk about the operating room. Everything starts by introducing yourself to your patient in the pre-op area. And when appropriate, examining them, especially if you haven't seen them
2: before. If they have a big old hernia on their belly, you should know what it looks like. Yeah, and in addition to introducing yourself to the patient, you should also introduce yourself to the operating room staff. Ask if you can pull your gloves And a gown. And if you haven't been in the OR before or you've had limited experience, let them know. Tell them. They are much more likely to be kind on you if they know that you're new.
1: Next,
3: know the patient's history, why surgery is indicated, key anatomy, basic steps to the procedure, and potential complications. This goes back to one of the basic foundations that we talked about earlier, preparation. This requires you to look the patient up in the medical records before the case. This requires you to review the procedure in a surgical atlas or watch some videos beforehand and that you bust open that anatomy textbook that you may have not used since medical school.
2: Yeah, and and, being prepared for cases makes for such a better operative experience. I absolutely 100% guarantee you. You'll get so much more out of the case if you're prepared. And it's also just more enjoyable when you know what's going on, especially if you're standing there for hours on end.
3: I couldn't agree more, Patrick. Uh, and as and we as attendings always know which students are prepared and, and, and which aren't. Uh, Patrick, tell me about the technical skills that you expect your students uh, to have when you're in the OR with yeah. them.
2: So this is a great question. Again, this may vary depending on where you're at, but, but probably not by much. So the technical skills that most students are expected to develop over the course of the rotation include how you hold instruments correctly how to tie a square knot and this can be one-handed two-handed and with an instrument how you perform a simple interrupted suture a running subcuticular stitch and how to close laparoscopic port sites and how to drive a laparoscopic camera which is a huge pain in the butt <laughs>
3: yeah <laughs> yeah but 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 well The problem is, you know, most of us, at least in my case, I wasn't born with these skills.
2: So how should our students go about learning these skills? Yeah, and and that's also a great question and a great point you make, too. Uh, I'll give you another little secret here. We actually don't care that much about how good you are technically. What we care about as uh, attendings, as fellows, as residents are, we can tell, have you prepared? Okay. Have you practiced? And are you getting better? That's the most important thing. So most surgery rotations include a hands-on skill session uh, as part of the rotation, but th- this isn't enough. Okay. You really have to practice at home and you can ask your clerkship director or the residents you're working with where you might be able to snag some instruments from uh, and supplies from. And if worse comes to worse, you can't get your hands on anything. Know that there are all a number of decent kits that are actually available on Amazon and they're, they're not that expensive. And, don't forget to visit Behind the Knife's YouTube page where we have really, honestly, I think our best series of videos called the Surgical Skills Bootcamp, And this reviews everything from instrument names to subcuticular suturing. They're very high quality videos.
3: And as an attending, uh, one of the most satisfying uh, things that we see is the uh, learners around us, uh, medical students, residents, and fellows improve while they're working with us. Right. So again. As Patrick brought up a great point. It's not necessarily how good you do right. it. But it's how better you are compared to last time. Right. That you put an effort into this. That you care. You want to be better. That's
2: Because just like you can tell who prepares for the case. Mm-hmm. You know. Knows a little bit about the anatomy. Or some of the basic steps of a case. We can also always, always tell. Who's practiced their, their skills. It's, I, it's just blatantly obvious.
3: I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um. Here's a common inquiry. Uh, should a student ask questions in the OR or should they just stay quiet?
2: Yeah. So, yes, they absolutely should ask questions in the OR. Asking questions shows that the student's engaged, that you're interested, and it involves you in the case. Now, take note, if the case is going poorly or if it's in the middle of a particularly stressful portion of that procedure, it may be a good idea to hold on to your questions a little bit and and ask uh, later. Great.
3: I think we've touched up on some of the main um, points uh, that students uh, encounter during OR cases or or the preoperative time. Um, But let's let's talk about the next learning environment, which is the clinic. Um, Again, it goes without saying preparation, preparation, preparation. That's right.
2: Um, uh, and if you can look your patients up in advance and, and read a bit about their diagnosis. Right. And, and I would also recommend that you ask the attendant you're working with, if they have any preferences, uh, before you start seeing patients, for example, should you see only new patients or should you see the post-ops? Um, do they want a comprehensive presentation or do they want something that's shorter and more to the point and find out if they want you to write a note?
3: Yeah. I mean, in regards to presentations, uh, this is so key, uh, So key, that is one of our five principles of surgery clerkship success. Right. This is
2: a great time to show off to your attending.
3: Yep. And this is when we know how much you've learned, how much you know, and how you take all that data and put it together to come up with a conclusion. In general, you should plan on giving a complete presentation. This means a full HMP with special focus on the assessment and plan. For your new patients, start off by saying... Well, why the patient is in clinic today? And then move through the history of present illness, past medical and surgical history, allergies, social history, vital signs, exam findings, diagnostics, including labs and imaging, and finally, your assessment and plan.
2: Right. And remember that you want to keep your presentation relevant to surgery right? This is uh, usually uh, the key question that you need to answer. Uh, Most of the time, you're trying to decide whether or not you will offer the patient surgery. As such, your H&P style presentation should be focused on that question.
3: Yeah. And one of the uh, principles that often goes unsaid, uh, but I do think it's very important, is you need to be able to answer specific questions about whether or not the patient is a good candidate for surgery. Uh, do they have cardiopulmonary issues? Are they a
2: drinker? Can they walk? Can,
3: can they tolerate a haircut, as some of us would say?
2: You're right. And so, it's, so it's, it's important to recognize that you're collecting, comparing contrast for instance, internal medicine, right? You need to know everything. You're taking care of that patient in a holistic manner, overlooking all their different medical issues. In surgery, guess what? You also need to know all those things. But yep. but your but the reason you're asking those questions and getting that information is so that you better understand how that relates to their candidacy as uh, when it comes to undergoing surgery or not. So it's not like you're not getting that information. You are getting that information, but then you need to, need to apply it in regards to surgery. And after you do all that, make sure your assessment and plan shine. So from a broad standpoint, be definitive, be clear, and and really be confident.
3: Yeah. I, I remember. Uh, you know, I think you, you bring up a very good point about uh, the fact that you're on the surgery rotation doesn't mean you shouldn't get all the information. One of my mentors, uh, Dr. Walter Pories, would always say the best surgeons are family doctors who can operate, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, it goes to say that you know medicine is still important, uh, and it's it's very important. Uh, So, yes, always get the entire information and formulate your plan based on that. So
2: what's the fatal fatal flaw then of student presentations? Because it happens over and over and over again. Uh, And if you listen to this episode, you're not going to make this mistake.
3: Yep. So the fatal flaw, folks, listen up. The fatal flaw of student presentations is an indecisive and partially formulated plan.
2: Don't let that be you. Because it's not so much about being right. Okay. It's more about showing your thought process, how you piece all that data and that information together. And it's about your willingness to put yourself out there. Okay. I can't emphasize this more. There's nothing worse than hearing a beautiful presentation, hitting on all the key points. It's cruising along. It's like, you know, you're ready, ready. And at the end, then it just crashes and burns because... They don't have a clear plan you know, in mind. And it's, it's, it's so sad to see that.
3: Yeah, I agree. Uh, try, try to come up with decisive, clear plans. Um, your first two years of medical school was mainly learning how to get the information. Your last two years, when you're on the clerkship with us, is how to formulate those, how to make, use that data that you've gathered. So we want to see that you're able to do that.
2: And I got to tell you, too, you hear a few good presentations from one student. And you never forget it. You know, you're on for a month. You're on for six weeks. I'm like, oh, yeah. You know, so-and-so like really knocked it out of the park. They gave me this great, real concise, clear presentation. I can tell he or she knows what's going on. And that just sticks with you.
3: Yep. And those are the ones that you hope they ask you for a letter of recommendation. Um, All right, Patrick. uh, Let's finish up uh, with our last learning environment,
2: rounds. Right. So, Amir, grab your coffee or Diet Coke in your your case and uh, (laughs) get to it because surgery rounds start ridiculously early.
3: Yep. First case usually starts at 7.30. What that means is we need to see the patients, round on the patients, come up with plans. All that. And put in the orders before 7.30. So, wake up early, folks.
2: Now, in most surgery rotations, you'll be expected to present patients on rounds. Typically, these are patients you operated on or were somehow involved in their care. And as we mentioned already, make sure you understand what is expected of you uh, on rounds and on those pre- as part of those presentations?
3: That's right. And that may very well be different depending on where you are. Um, today, we're going to focus on uh, a two-minute SOAP type presentation for a post-op general surgery patient that focuses on a strong assessment and plan. Yeah.
2: First up, SOAP, right? This stands for Subjective, Objective, Assessment, and Plan.
3: For subjective, this should focus on events that have happened over the past 24 hours, and patient-reported
2: symptoms. It should be no more than a few sentences unless something really exciting happened. Right. Next up, objective. This includes vital signs, ins and outs, pertinent exam findings, and relevant new labs and imaging. For vital signs, you might just say, I reviewed the past 24 hours of vital signs, and it's notable for X, Y, and Z. Right. Ins and outs might include IV fluid, TPN, or two feeds going in, and outs include urine, stool, and, don't forget, ostomy output. Your exam
3: should be focused with only pertinent findings being shared. For example, abdominal
2: exam following a laparotomy. Right, and not all labs need to be reported. You might say, I've viewed the patient's BMP and CBC from this morning, and these are notable for an increase in white blood cell count from 8 to 12.
3: Next up is assessment. This can be one to three sentences that summarizes where a patient is at in their recovery. Making note of the surgery, post-operative day, and... Any notable post-operative issues that the patient may have faced
2: right let's talk about what makes rounding unique uh, for surgery patients first it's early and work has to get done and it can be a little unnerving to see people busting into a room at 5:30 or 6 a.m and you know waking a patient up, pushing on their belly and then and then running out uh, it's 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 unfortunate somehow sometimes when that when that plays out uh, there are folks though uh, and we've all worked with them who do it very gracefully and well and in a very short period of time in a matter of minutes can make patients feel so comfortable and that's the goal because again the work has to be done uh, before a full day of cases get started also important to remember is that surgery is different because we actually put the hurt on these patients in order to make them better therefore the goal of most surgery patients is to return uh, back to their preoperative state or better As quickly as possible. So this influences how you think about their postoperative care and how you develop the all-important plan.
3: Right. And there are specific considerations for surgery patients that may not be immediately obvious. So so let's finish off this episode by reviewing just what those are. Uh, When it comes to formulating your plan, you you should choose a problem-based approach or a system-based approach. What this does, it provides a framework for you so you don't miss anything that might be pertinent. Uh, again, you don't have to come to round and present every single system or every single problem, but having such approach helps you build that framework and address everything that a patient might Right.
2: So for this episode, let's just go by system as opposed to problem. So uh, we're going to also put these uh, systems-based approach in the show notes. So you can take an extra minute or two to review them there because we're going to go through them uh, pretty quickly here today. Agree. Starting with Nero, you should consider pain control,
3: weaning patients from the unneeded narcotics, especially IV formulations. Um, How they're doing, how are they sleeping, uh, their mental status, and um,
2: if there are any home meds. Uh, that they need to go back on yeah from a cardiovascular standpoint take note of their heart rate and blood pressure and be sure home cardiac meds are restarted or that they're being held for a specific reason so take special note of beta blockers and any blood thinners the patient might be on
3: from a pulmonary standpoint um is the patient on any supplemental oxygen and if so can they be weaned off uh or what can we do to wean them off of oxygen Uh, Is the patient getting a pulmonary toilet that they need? For example, are they using their incentive spirometer? And if they are, how much are they pulling? Do they have any home inhalers or any home medications that they they should be back on?
2: Yeah. Next is GI. So we're talking general surgery here mostly, and and we do a lot of surgery on the belly. And so looking at where the patient, what kind of diet they're on, and can it be advanced is extremely important. And considering have they had, quote-unquote, return of bowel function, Are they passing gas? Are they having bowel movements? Um, If they're not, do they need to be on a specific bowel regimen, either by mouth or from below? Do they have an ostomy? How much is coming out? Because ostomies can put out a whole lot and get people dehydrated. If they have an ostomy, has the ostomy nurse seen the patient to talk about education and planning for home?
3: Next up is GU. GU is very important, even though as general surgeons, we often do surgeries on the genitourinary tract because urine output tells us how well our patients are resuscitated. So, do you know their urine output? Are you measuring it appropriately in order to do so? Does the patient have a Foley? If they have a Foley, can the Foley be removed? Always try to take the Foleys out if you can. Um, Does the patient need any IV fluids? Are they tolerating a diet and have enough PO intake? How are their electrolytes? Are they being appropriately
2: repleted? Yeah. Next is endocrine. Uh, mostly blood sugar here. Is it being monitored? Is it being corrected? You also want to take note of in thyroid replacement medications or steroid use. ID. Make sure to identify and treat infections. And if the patient is on
3: antibiotics, make sure that there's a reason for them to be on antibiotics. Be good stewards. And finally, if they are on it, always have a plan on how long you're going to treat an infection for. And make sure to mention the number of days the patient has been on antibiotics.
2: Next is heme. Patients undergoing surgery are hypercoagulable and oftentimes, if not most of the time, need to be on DVT chemoprophylaxis. That's oftentimes Lovinox or Heparin. A little counterintuitive because we do operate on these patients and they are at risk for bleeding, Uh, but this needs to be taken into consideration. Furthermore, are there signs of blood loss postoperatively? Is there any blood loss anemia? Skin.
3: How is the wound healing? Make sure when you examine your patient, you look at their wounds. Uh, Additionally, some of our patients uh, may be bed bound. uh, And uh, so make sure to check for pressure ulcers if they're being turned,
2: if they're being moved out of bed. And to that end, uh, MSK or musculoskeletal, does the patient have activity restrictions, um, especially maybe after trauma? Uh, Are those needed? Can the patient actually get out of bed and walk? Because they should be. Uh, And have PT and OT been consulted early if needed? Next up
3: is lines. If you bring up central lines during rounds, you will get special kudos from your attendings and residents. So always know if the patient has a central line or an arterial line, and perhaps more importantly, if that
2: central line is needed. Right. And finally, disposition. What are the actual barriers to discharge? Why is that patient still in the hospital? What needs to happen to get them home? If it's beyond medical stuff, are we thinking about the social uh, needs that patient might have? Is social work looped in? Is case management looped in? What do we need to do to get them home? Is it transportation? Is it help at home? All these things are so important. Now, you'll take note, Amir and I just buzzed through all a systems-based approach. Again, this is an amazing way to think about every single patient so you don't miss anything. But when you present that patient, you want to present only those pertinent items. So to that end, we're going to share with you... Which should be, we'll get the timers out here and get the timers going, a two minute or less presentation that's pretty typical for a post operative general surgery patient. All right, Amir, ready? All right. one. One, two, three, start. All right. Mr. Smith uh, states that his incisional pain has improved. He went on his first walk last night, and this morning his ostomy bag is actually filled with air and a little bit of thin fluid. Now, I carefully reviewed his vital signs over the past 24 hours, and this is notable only for a heart rate that spans from 100 to 120. Of note, the patient is on supplemental oxygen, 2 liters nasal cannula, with an oxygen saturation of 98%. His eyes and nose for the past 24 hours are 1.8 liters in and 2.8 liters out. He's taken a little bit of clear liquid diet, but most of the ends are coming from his IV fluid, which is D5 half normal saline with 20 of K, which is running at 75 cc's an hour. His urine output is 2.5 liters and his ostomy has put out 300 cc's of thin, uh, uh, slightly brown tinged fluid. On exam, the patient's abdomen is soft. It's non-distended and it's mildly tender to palpation. His inc- incisions are healing well with no evidence of infection or dehiscence, and his loop ileostomy is pink, and it's it's really healthy appearing. I looked at his labs, and these are notable for a white blood cell count of 10, and this is down from 13. His hemoglobin is stable at 8.4. So in summary, Mr. Smith is a 54-year-old man who's post-operative day number three, following an open sigmoidectomy with a diverting loop ileostomy for refractory diverticulitis. His post-operative course has been unremarkable so far. He re- continues to recover well, and we are waiting uh, on return of bowel function my plan today would be to discontinue his iv morphine i think we'd be able to start oxycodone five milligrams every four hours as needed also for pain control we can continue the toradol that we're on that's 15 milligrams every six hours and tylenol 1000 milligrams every six hours uh I want the patient uh, to continue to use incentive, incentive spirometer, especially now that his pain uh, is under better control, and we want to wean his oxygen with a goal uh, of uh, greater than 92%. We can increase his metoprolol to his full home dose of 25 milligrams twice daily. We'll continue his clear liquid diet and monitor his ileostomy output very carefully, looking especially for signs of high output. Farthermore, the OSU nurse has not yet seen the patient. We can consult uh, them today uh, for their involvement, and we'll follow up with PT's recommendations for disposition planning. All right, so that's exactly just shy of two or just over two minutes, but that's a you know a pretty uh, reasonable example of what you might be expected, uh, a type of presentation you might be expected to give on rounds.
3: That that was excellent, um, and there you, you have I it. I practiced. <laughs> you, you've done this a few times a before.
2: But, but now you know uh, how you can dominate your surgery clerkship, yes, guys. Yes, sir. Let's finish off again by reviewing those five principles, right? Number one, be prepared. Number two, take a proactive role in your education. Number three, show enthusiasm and be engaged. Number four, give quality presentations with thoughtful assessments and plans. And five, seek out and incorporate feedback and do it as often as you can. So thanks for joining us. Until next time. Dominate the day. All right, folks, if you liked what you hear, please do take a moment to leave us some feedback on whichever platform you stream your podcast from. This means a great deal to us and it helps behind the knife with everything that we do. So again, please take a moment out of your very, very busy day and leave us a nice five-star review. Thanks in advance.
1: Until next time, dominate the day.